right. Well, good afternoon, Coach. How we doing? Doing good. How are you doing? All right. So before we get to the last dance and Michael Jordan and the massively important things that we have to talk about today, why on God's green earth do you think it's okay to eat the skin of a salmon? How do you think that that is like, this is not a sweet potato. You can't eat those things. You, you... <laughs> I didn't realize he was going to hit with this. Uh, your wife bullied me last night. So <laughs> no, she told me. Hard. Hard. Uh, so this is what here, I, here, do you mean, I can give everybody some backstory if you want to gather yes, yourself. For go, a ahead. go ahead. So, uh, you know, Apparently, you're grilling some some salmon at the house, just yes. like a normal American. Uh, we we also enjoy a nice salmon Sunday. The trick is, though, is apparently we then take the skin off of the salmon. Mm-hmm. You apparently, though, have gone all northern Michigan on us and mm-hmm. say that's the best part. It is. It is quite delicious. Okay. This is how it's all start. Defend yourself. So I used to hate salmon. I did not like salmon. I did not eat salmon. And then when I was in college, post-playing days, when I lost all my weight and I was much smaller than I was today because I gained a bunch of that weight back, I was, like, all about getting protein and, like, healthy protein. So, like, my breakfast used to be salmon and eggs. Like, a piece of salmon and, like, two eggs. That used to be my breakfast. And if you've never had it, it's quite delicious. That Again, I throw runny egg over the It's quite delicious. You should just get a, the cheap old salmon and just and make it. And then I started getting fancy with my salmon, start flavoring it up. And the skin is just very crispy. <laughs> and it's very delicious. And I have no issue eating it. I think it's delicious. Yes, I understand that you can take it off. But I think... One, you eat other fish skin. Like that's a that's a common thing people will do. They eat fish skin. Like yeah, that's, but not, like not anything eat, that thick. It's really not that thick. You know, we might have to put a poll uh, out on Twitter so everybody else can respond to this. Oh. Apparently, I'm just getting made fun of by the Sanders clan, which is you know really unfortunate. Oh, she interrupted watched, the '97 Bull room. season last night with it. I mean, my wife's in the other room making fun of me, laughing at me right now. Um, <laughs> I'm just saying, it's quite delicious. I understand that it's not a common thing. You look it up, people do eat it. Like, I'm not the only one. Well, I'm glad you're not um, the only, if you're the absolute only one, I would really be concerned for you. <laughs> yes. Um, All right, so let's, uh, bef- before we get into any, do you, do you want anything else to defend yourself? <laughs> no, I think if you, you got to try it. You have to try it. Oh, nice little God. flavor on it. Go to Publix, get that bourbon salmon. All right, get some flavor on it. It could be delicious. <laughs> um, well, th- this whole conversation did interrupt the first quote-unquote live sporting event that either one of us or any of us have watched in over a month. Um, and so hopefully you guys watched it. If not, feel free. There are four more weeks of The Last Dance by ESPN. Um, and I absolutely loved it. Like, I remember going to get the newspaper the day that Jordan decided he was going to come out of retirement, and it was, like, the best thing ever. Uh, I remember all three of those, the second three-peat 
Uh, I remember like the first set. I mean, Michael Jordan was everything that anybody my age wanted to become. Um, I never, I mean, I watched every minute of those NBA finals. His last yeah. shot, all of it. Uh, this is, I think, this is like where we get the interesting like age gap. Definitely, because I don't really remember Michael Jordan. Oh, see, I, like, I, my, like, I, I know Michael Jordan, and I know that he was a basketball player, but like, I was not following the NBA during that time, and so like, I was barely following the Celtics because like the Celtics weren't good. So at that time, I was like, we had like Paul Pierce's like early years. Um. Oh, I remember. So I like, was wait. I was wait. I want to say I was waiting tables when they traded for Paul. No, when they traded for Garnett. Not when they got. Not when, not when they drafted Pierce. Yeah, I mean, I remember Garnett. Garnett was like I was in high. I was in high school when yeah. Garnett got traded. Um, but like, I remember like I that my first memory of actually seeing Michael Jordan play basketball was when he was at the Wizards. Like, see, we memory. actually had tickets. I never got to see Jordan live. They, anytime they would come to Charlotte, those tickets were way too expensive. Um, but we had tickets for when the Wizards came to town. Uh, and he got injured two nights before. I never, I never got to see him play live. But he was, I mean, he was everything. I can't tell you how many books I read on Michael Jordan when I was a kid. Um, like, I, and we watched every minute. That crossover that he hit against the Jazz, which I can't wait till they get to. Like, it's all, it's almost like folklore in my head. Uh, but I thought they did a good job. Um, it was, it was good, not only just to be able to see, because, I mean, I don't remember when he was drafted. That was before I was born. So there was a lot of those things in those early years. Like I didn't know he had a seven minute per halftime limit. And I knew he hated Jerry Krause and those kind of things, but I that didn't was a very interesting. They were making Jerry, I think uh, Jay Smith, I think his name's Jay Smith was on get up this morning and they were talking about how like he went to the bulls after Jordan left, like after Jordan retired. And he was talking about how they made Jerry Krause look bad. And about Jay Williams. Jay Williams, not Jay Smith, Jay Williams. Yeah. Yes. Uh, they made Jerry Krause look bad, like basically making him like the villain and the bad guy. Uh, it seems like that's going to be the storyline of this documentary, uh, which was funny because then they then I saw those pictures of the comparing him with the the villain in uh, Space Jam. Oh, for sure. No, I, I mean think, he was the bad guy though. Like I, even as a kid, like even as someone that wasn't even a teenager yet during those years, like I remember Jerry Krause as the bad guy, uh, and, and we and even I understood those dynamics. Let's even think from this, and I was it was interesting when we talk about so the the guy who owns the Chicago Bulls also owns the White Sox. And yeah, right. Still owns them, so he still owns them today. Yeah. Think about this: in what in, in today's society, a scout or even just a high level position person from the White Sox would not become the general manager of basketball. I was shocked by that. I didn't know that either. You don't you don't make that jump. Like you don't even if like there are some people who become like advisors because they know how to run a sports business. Uh, but they don't make the jump of I'm going to I did this one sport and I was a scout and all knowledge about this one sport and now I'm going to become the leader of another sport. No, like shocked. Just doesn't make sense. No, I didn't remember that either. So anyway, I think that Michael Jordan, we might have to have Michael Jordan Mondays for like just a couple minutes of Michael Jordan talk. How do we feel about that? I'm good with that. Good. I thoroughly, I enjoyed the, I enjoyed uh, that documentary last night, but one of the articles, uh, I didn't post this on Google Classroom. I just, I think I just sent it to you. Uh, it was from the New England 
Journal of Medicine. Correct. Which is like, you guys don't know, which I'm assuming none of you guys probably do know. New England Journal of Medicine is like this famous publication. Uh, it's when studies get posted, research gets posted. It is considered a very viable source of information when it comes to anything that has to do with healthcare or just health in general, like hospital stuff, anything that has to do with that, any research. And so I saw this article posted about how the Bay State Health, which is a Massachusetts-based healthcare system, uh, kind of like your, I would say like, they're kind of like a wake med. Like they're very similar to like a wake med when it comes to what they do. Their CEO was talking basically how he had a cloak and dagger, like getting rest, like a N95 masks. And how we had basically like, they went through this like third party, which basically made it seem like he bought stuff from like the mob. Like right, that like was how the market read. Like it was a black market, it was illegal buy. He had people had to bet the certain, had to bet the buy. And so, and they were paying like ridiculous amount of money for this, way more than what they normally would have to. But the problem is that we don't have enough. So, and these people could provide some. So he went to go buy it. Well, all of a sudden he shows up and two FBI agents are waiting and they're talking about whether he has the credentials to buy these, are these going to go back on the black market somewhere? Like FBI agents were waiting for him to make the buy. Now they weren't the ones communicating with him, but they got tipped and I'm assuming they're listening to conversations or they got, you know, free sources, whatever the FBI does. So he convinces the FBI that like he is the CEO of a major healthcare system in the state of Massachusetts. Well, then it's the Department of Homeland Security. And Department of Homeland Security says, no, we're not going to release these items. We're not going to let you have these items. And he had to call his congressman. And his congressman had to call the Homeland Security or whatever their contact is and be like, no, please release these items. And you're seeing stories. It's not the first time in Massachusetts this happened. Elizabeth Warren called out the federal government a couple of weeks ago for this. Uh, Charlie Baker, who's our, gov who's our governor, called out the government for doing this. Uh, I think, Sam, you mentioned the state of Illinois had their own little story about this, with like having to hide stuff from the federal government. Right. So, I mean, I think this all goes back to, I think most people understand kind of supply and demand. These N95 masks are in massive demand. There's not enough supply of them, so the price goes up. But the trick of that is, is the federal government is now not coordinating this at all. Uh, and I listened yeah. to Mike Pence the other day on meet the press and he almost kind of doubled down on it like they have no desire to step into that void uh, which makes no sense like as soon as you sent me that article i had just finished listening to npr's planet money which isn't the new england you know journal medicine or medicine oh, journal but it's still a pretty big deal and so on npr planet money they went through how the state of illinois was it which is you know chicago was in such a dire need of these masks that what the, the state did is they emailed every single business that was on their list of small businesses, every single one, apparently the two column in that email took up six pages and just was just a plea for help, just an SOS of like, can anybody please help us? Uh, and so this one guy, Jeff, who was interviewed on the podcast came through and said, look, I am in not no nothing with medical equipment, but he was just in the moving. Like he was a mover. Like he helped you move from one place to another. He knew enough people that he got on the phone and they eventually found 1.5 million masks and they would just take little order because he knew people in China. And like, this is not at all how the state of Illinois shut to do stuff. So much so that the comptroller general of Illinois had to stop the check making system, 
get a $3.5 million check cut before they got the supplies, which completely breaks the law, but they just said, screw it. This is what we got to do. Drove it two hours to a McDonald's, met this guy in the middle Two, both of them were four hours away, met him in the middle of McDonald's and just gave him the check so that he could go throughout the process. Like the fact that this is what the states are having to do to be able to get these kind of equipment and not for you and me, for hospital workers uh, is beyond me. And like it, it, all they're doing is driving up the price from everybody. So that's what you see from Governor Cuomo, New York talking about all the time is how like each state is bidding against one another. And so even though Illinois eventually got these masks and he was happy he was able to do it, in the middle of it, he actually said that he could have made a lot more money. Mississippi came in and said, no, 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 I heard you're getting these masks. We'll offer you X amount of dollars more for them. And he wouldn't do it just because he can help his own state. Um, And that states are having to compete with one another and have their own individual stockpiles. It's it's maddening. Well, they're also not just competing with one another. You're competing with the federal government, too. They're competing with... Yes. Charlie Baker came out a couple of weeks ago and he basically, he questioned President Trump on the governor's conference call and said, listen, we've lost out on four bids to the federal government. He's, and you remember that President Trump's big thing is that states should handle testing, states need to go get their own supplies. Well, when you're getting your own supplies, it sucks to get bid out by the federal government who's the one telling you to go get your own supplies. Right. Like this is why when there's a hurricane coming, the state of Florida will lock in all gasoline prices that different gas stations can't price gouge. Like I've told my classes about Mm -hmm. that. And it's the same thing. It's that we're not doing that. We've got our first alumni. We're going to welcome to the, to the podcast. Uh, we've got Chase McPherson, one of our original graduates class of 2018. Chase, how you doing, my man? I'm doing good. Yep. Uh, Chase lives right down the road. Uh, see his, see him and his folks every now and then. Um, so Chase, why don't you tell everybody where you go to school, what year are you, that kind of thing. Uh, I go to Mars Hill University. It's uh, north of Asheville. And I'll be a junior next year, finishing out my sophomore year. Good. And I just found out, so, uh, so Coach Hagerman was your civics teacher long, long time ago then, huh? Yeah. Long time, long time ago. ago. What time do ago. we What do we remember about Coach Hager Moser in year one as a civics teacher? What do we, other than not uh, having this woolly mammoth of a beard that we all have to deal with? Yeah, now. The, the beard. The beard's new, but he made it fun because yeah. I'm not a big history fan, but the the class was actually fun. So good. There we go. See, I'll um, take that. Take that every day of the week. <laughs> Good. Well, I think Chase is probably an easy grader too, though. I don't think he's uh, too harsh on you. Um, so how was, you've been taking all your classes online. Yeah. Just like all of our guys are trying to do though. But, you know, we've, I've seen a couple of guys from your class and the class below you that are back home. And from what I've heard, like it hasn't slowed down at all. Like our class is drastically yeah. reduced on how much stuff. Yeah. So what kind of, like, what's that been like? Well, we're almost, I have finals starting a week from Friday. So we're almost done. So I have three tests for anatomy between this week and next week. So like nothing's slowed down and I've had like two papers due. So, I mean, it's the end of the semester. So it wasn't a very good time to go online because everything's due. Right. But I've been making it work. How are they? they? Go ahead. Now, did you guys have online classes at Mars Hill before? 
No, unless you were taking Ooh. like AB Tech, like technical, like community college classes with it. No, yeah. everything's in person. Okay, so like that's that's like drastically different even for the professors, because at least yeah, like for my college, for my college experience, like we had like almost every every like major required class like your English classes your like basic uh liberal arts classes always had like an online option that you could take yeah I think the smaller schools had a harder time jumping online like Mars Hill because everything's in person and it's smaller classes than compared to like the big schools who have more online options have you got any like positives from it though or there's it all negatives I mean I learn way better sitting in a class like having the teacher talk to me but and like online it's just like a lot of a lot of it's busy work just so they know you're actually doing stuff as like attendance but right. I mean, yeah that's what i'm talking to uh I've, t- I've spoken to a past alumni and he said that was his like biggest complaint was that like i'd be fine doing the online stuff if i didn't feel like it was just like busy work like i'm not learning anything i'm just doing like it's like the equivalent of doing like worksheets in a classroom yeah, two of my uh, classes are like that, but then the other the other two or three are like actually like stuff that helps learning it. Right now, you're still trying to go into nursing, right? Yeah, so I'm already accepted into it. So I get That's into good. do like nursing school classes next semester. Have so you heard? Like, have you heard how those are going? Like, I don't know how I don't know how you would do that I'm, online. I have no clue, because like next semester you're supposed to do clinicals on Tuesday, Thursday. Mm-hmm. So like we go to the hospital and like mm-hmm. work type of thing. So I have no clue if we'll just have to like do a whole nother semester or what. Yeah, I was, my next question was going to ask you what your major was because I couldn't remember. And like nursing is definitely one of those that like, that's like, it's kind of like being a teacher in the sense of like having to go into the school and mm-hmm. like, and like observe. Well, you can't do that if, the school's not open and the same thing is even if we are back to somewhat normal I've had a I don't know if you know this my wife's pregnant and I was telling her I was like hospitals are probably going to be the last things that go back to normal yeah because it's just a safety thing so they may not want to have all you students in their hospital at that time because that's outside people and that's like you're gonna probably have to wear the same equipment yeah I have no clue how it's going to go I don't think they do either I think they're going to wait until summer's over or wait longer to see how this whole thing pans out. Right. So what else are you taking? You got anatomy and what, any, anything so exciting? I'm in anatomy two, and then I'm in organic and biochemistry together. And then I have two nursing classes. Chase, I love you, man, but that sounds miserable. Oh, it was organic chemistry, trying to learn it through a PowerPoint online with oh, my teacher. No. so it's it's been rough trying to do that now chase i think coach sam's gonna agree because chase you also play on the football team correct do you still play football there yeah so i think all three of us since we all played football in college is that there is a wide spectrum of intelligence on a football team (laughs) so i'm assuming you're closer to (laughs) the top half than you are to the bottom yeah. Why, is there anyone else in your teammates that are similar, like going to become doctors or? Uh, or yeah, my my roommate is um he's also a nursing major. He wants to go to anest- he wants to get into anesthesia. Ooh. He plays he plays fullback and tight end. So me and him room together too. 
So like we do like all of our nursing stuff together, like when we're at school. So it's helpful. It's, I remember from my college days, Moran Jadu was our safety. And you look at him and you didn't think that man's intelligent, but he is now a dentist in Michigan. And he, I mean, he got an A in everything because he would just study until like two o'clock in the morning, Monday through Saturday. It's easy. It's easier being like, just like just long snapping and not playing offensive line or anything to get like the balance football and schoolwork, but it's still tough with practices and everything. What you're living you the dream, practice? Practice. Yeah, what do you do during practice? Let's be real. Um, so <laughs> okay. me and my kickers, we kind of sit on the sideline, and we have two periods of practice that's special teams, and one period's always field goal. So I'm always doing something for 10 minutes, but then I might not do punt. We might be doing punt return, so the other long snapper goes and snaps for scout punt. Um, and then when we go to team, we have to run the chains. So we're kind of chain through. We just kind of do whatever the coach tells us to do. Sometimes we have to go out there and snap the ball to the quarterbacks. It's just whatever. I don't know about you, Chase, but I remember Zane Weaver was our long snapper in college, and he was long snapper from freshman year all the way to his senior year. And his favorite parts were the road trips in the sense that he could eat whatever he wanted, yeah. whatever he wanted, because he was just snapping. And all of the offensive linemen or defensive linemen had to, like, you know, we could eat the, the the night before meal we always picked out, but the pregame meal we always had to make sure, oh, like, yeah. eating right. And there's Zane just, like, chomping down food because he's like, I just got a snap today. That's it. We well, made that to me. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, trust me. As a, a third string fullback, you didn't have to worry too much about pregame meal either. I could, uh, I could do whatever I needed to do. Third string quarterback. That's that's the one that holds the clipboard, right? That's right. There we go. Oh, no, one of my other buddies is at Georgia Tech now. Like, tweeted out a picture or something of us beating Georgia Southern, and there was like me, me with the clipboard jumping on the field. I was like, wait, oh, man. wait, your buddies at Georgia Tech? Yeah, he's the defensive coordinator. My my old football coach, head coach, is there. Yeah. He's the senior advisor, whatever that is. Yeah, that's the that's that's the good jobs. Um, so Chase, what else has um, how what how have the coaches been doing? Have you guys had to do any like position meetings or anything yet? Uh, we you, you have to we stay meet, out of like, those. We meet every other week with our position coach, which is like our um, our wide receivers coach is also a special teams coordinator. Yeah. Every other week, we just get into like a a Zoom call with all of us, and he just kind of checks up. I mean, we're all specialists, so, like, we all have pretty good grades, too. Right. So, he's not mm-hmm. as worried about, like, he meet, all the other positions meet once a week, but we're, like, every other. Because, like, he, they pretty much have some faith in us that we're not failing all of our classes. Right. Have you heard how some of those guys are that are struggling? Like, are they no, having to try to put anything in to try to help them out? Uh, no, I'm not sure. But I'm pretty sure if they are, like, their position coach checks up with them more than once a week. Right. And our no, teachers I'm sure they're are all over out too, especially if you're an athlete. Good. So what do you uh what do you miss the most about campus just being on being there with everybody else? I miss like like the people there in the mountains, to be honest, and the freedom. <laughs> yeah, that is one thing that I I actually just thought about, like realizing you were back like in your house. Like, yeah, I I never went back and lived up left back home for a summer no. much left an extended period of time and you guys have to like there's no choice yeah, well, even, even for summer i'm normally back since we live on campus and they don't yeah. require you to stay over summer but this time it's just kind of weird because you can't go out and do anything 
So like, I can't go like hang out with Nate and Sarasi. Like I'm kind of stuck in the house hanging out with my parents because of the right. whole quarantine. Yeah, that's a whole different dynamic. Yeah. Well, good. Um, anything you miss about uh, old friendship or any advice you want to give to give to everybody? Um, enjoy it while it lasts. College is a lot different. It's very true. Very true. So Coach, you got anything causes, for him? Causes. So I had a question. So, Chase, we talked about beforehand before we started this podcast that – so you are you live on campus in, like, apartment-style dorms. Mm-hmm. Do Are there, like, off-campus apartments available for you guys? There right? is, but, like – so, like, if you've ever been to Mars Hill, it's, like – it goes, like, Asheville, Weaverville, then Mars Hill. So, like, Mars Hill is a pretty small town. So, like, there's a couple houses you could get. But then with working out in the morning, like 6 a.m. workouts and stuff in the spring, like the closest housing is like five, 10 minutes away. Gotcha. Yeah, so like no. you have to get up five, 10 minutes earlier. And they're still not as nice as like where we're staying at right now. Like if you want a nice place, you got to go to Weaverville. And that's like a good 15 minute drive. So like I don't, don't want to be waking up 20 minutes earlier to go to morning workouts and stuff. That's true. And yeah, it's a lot cheaper. Like, we've sat down and done the math, me and my roommates. We've thought about moving off campus just because it's a, even a little bit more freedom. But then it's more expensive paying for all that stuff than it is just to stay in the nicest dorm on campus. All right, so we're going to slide into the review part for you guys, which on one hand is a huge piece of it. We're going to talk about Chapter 11 or we're going to talk about Congress. But make sure you realize that, like, you're not going to have to go through and tell how many people are in the House or how many people are in the Senate because nothing on the exam is going to be something that you can just Google yeah. because you're all going to be taking it at home. So it's more going to be about how do you interconnect these ideas? Like how do you take the Massachusetts big dig and apply that to checks and balances? You have any uh, Massachusetts references you'd like to make? Absolutely. I've been to that location where we're talking about. I've been to, I remember uh, the, the Ted Williams tunnel, which is part of that. I remember when my wife came to Massachusetts for the first time and we're because to drive to get to the Logan airport, you have to go through the Ted Williams tunnel. There's like no other way to get to the Logan airport. Uh, and I remember driving underneath it. It was like, I think she landed at like nine or 10 o'clock at night. And I was like, do you know where we are right now? And she's like in a tunnel. I was like, no, we're underneath the ocean, which uh, scared her a little bit for the first time. Uh, but I think I just remember like my entire childhood going into Boston for field trips or just like going visiting my grandparents when they lived in Boston of just construction all over the place. And like those big construction fences that you see and the cement barriers. And then my mom saying, this is never going to get done. It's never going to get done. It's, it's always going to be construction. And then one day it all got done. Uh, and now this was like, you know, 10 years past when it was supposed to get done and a couple more billions of dollars and millions of dollars, but um, it looks good. I mean, it's a very nice, they use the space really well, but there's nice little parks and splash pads and food trucks and all this stuff in that space where there used to be a highway um, and it looks nicer. Uh, but there's still a lot of people in Massachusetts who are questioning whether it was actually like worth the money to do it all. Well, you know, it's, it's funny you bring up the worth the money, though, is because you're thinking about all the coronavirus and COVID relief spending that's going to get spent that Congress is just doing. And there's really not a second thought because they have to. But I mean, this price tag could easily get I me. Mean, it's going to be at least three trillion dollars as it is now. 
because there's going to be another yeah. half a trillion that's going to get spent for small businesses because that fund's already capped. Yeah. But I mean, this is going to be a huge bill that is just going to balloon the national debt, which is already out of control. Yeah. And I think it's going to get bigger, especially as there's been a couple articles and there's been a couple of senators and congressmen who have come out and said that, like, we need to have another payment, like, to the American people. Yeah. Um, and so, like, that's when you really get, like, you're going to get a lot of money. And it will not, you're not going to get a lot of money. But, like, that's what if we do something like that and we're already getting into that $2 trillion, there's not, it wouldn't be out of the realm of the possibility of having another 2 to $3 trillion spending package being set. And here's the thing, elections are coming up around November and these congressmen and senators are going to have to defend the decisions they make. They're going to have to, and they're going to have to justify spending this amount of money. Um, or they're going to have to tell them why they couldn't provide more. Because well, in that, some areas, that's, that's, that, that's the difficult part of running for re-election when we talk about being the incumbent versus non-incumbent is that like you have to play both cards you have to justify spending the money you spent and then also justify why you didn't spend more no that's perfect that's exactly where i was going so that's easily something that they that could be one of those conceptual questions for you is kind of explain incumbency and some of the advantages and disadvantages uh and right now you could have the advantage of trying to you know hey i would i'm donald j trump and i would like to have my uh, my actual name on the check or, you know, you've ballooned the national debt. And so people have to be responsible and accountable for those decisions. Um, and so when you're thinking through Congress, those things we want you to know. I think congressional leadership could be helpful, uh, but more so it'd probably be just kind of in the context of a greater question. Being able to talk about the Speaker of the House or the President Pro Tem of the Senate, um, or really just the majority and minority leaders. I think that's yeah. kind of where that would be into play because it's really, that's not, the kind of question they would use. I foresee maybe something about caucuses because that's kind 100%. of, really, that's the area that things really get done now is these informal groups. Um, and honestly, I've never, I don't think I've ever used this before, but caucuses are almost like a group text. Like I'm not sending something out to the entire class or just everybody that you know on your phone. It's just a small group that's very informal. And sometimes it changes and sometimes there's smaller caucuses and big ones and whatever. Um, but that's where a lot of the decisions actually get made. And you saw that a lot of times with the Freedom Caucus, for example, like the, the leader of the most recent leader of the Freedom Caucus is now the chief of staff for President Trump. Yeah, I think with caucuses, you definitely want to make sure you, you remember like the, the established caucuses. So you have the Freedom Caucus, you have Black Caucus, you have the Hispanic Caucus, the Women's Caucus. These are ones that are really important for re-elections, they're important to have influence. But I, I do definitely agree with the, the, the informal aspect is, you know, these are like, this is your groups that you want to get opinions from, but you don't want the whole world. So this is like, you know, hey, does this look good on me or not? I'm going to send this out to these five people and it's going to be informal. And then if I like it, then I'll wear it uh, for everybody else. But this is where the majority of the work gets done. The majority of it doesn't get done on the House floor. It doesn't get done in the committees. It gets done by these caucus groups. And your bigger the caucus you have, the more power you have. And it's not, and I think what, it's not a crazy thing to be part of 30 caucuses. Like No, in, especially because you got to remember in class, we went through that huge list and it's, I mean, it's massive. There's thousands. Almost everything that you can think of would have a caucus. We saw like there was the jazz caucus and there was, of course, the bourbon and wine caucus, which a lot of students will find right away. 
but you have to understand that like all those have a justification on why they exist and why they're and why they're used because there's there's a group of people i'm assuming there's probably a clown caucus i'm actually going to live tweet live google all right well we, while you're live googling that i also want everybody to think about like if i was writing a conceptual frq it would be something like how are members of congress influenced and so now you can think that it is congressional leadership that influences them it is caucuses that influence them it's whether or not they're an incumbent or when their re-election is up and then you've also got to think about special interest groups lobbyists uh, which we'll get into a little bit more detail but all of those different things can influence the policy making structures. Uh, and then you can maybe get into some of those buzzwords of iron triangles and things of that nature too. Um, but you've got to think all these different aspects of Congress, it's not the, memorize, the memorizing of it, it's how are these things, the caucus to interest groups, how are all these things interconnected? All right, how's your, how's your clown caucus doing over there? There's no clown caucus, but there is a circus one. Oh boy. You know, it's funny you say that because a lot of people say the whole thing's a circus right now. I know. Um, that's, a, that's a deep dive. Um, so I think those are big things to realize. Also, I would think like the rules of the Congress could come into play. Yes. Maybe make sure we understand the filibuster, which I think everybody understands. From You've talked about your, your big dig. Now I can talk about Strom Thurmond, who gave the, the longest filibuster on the U.S. floor. Um, over a day, and I don't think we need to go into the, the public airwaves of the details of how Strom Thurmond didn't go pee for over a day. Um, but I think those are the kind of things that can really, really help you out. Either those big picture things so you everybody understands, or maybe something smaller like the Hassert rule. So the Hassert rule, if you remember, goes through and says if the majority of the majority doesn't agree with it, then it's not even going to get put to the floor. So you see that a ton right now with Mitch McConnell running the Senate. If the majority of Republicans don't agree with something, then it's not going to get put to the floor. Even if, for example, 20 Senate Republicans like it and most Senate Democrats like something, so it'll easily pass and even get the 60 votes to bypass the filibuster. If the majority of the majority party doesn't like it, then it's not even going to get brought to the floor. Uh, and there's various reasons for those things as well. So that's that's what we would encourage you guys to to look at. Not only those, but also like hearings that they can have where the, uh, the official hearings of how they'll try to obtain information to subcommittee hearings. And I mean, those can be po powerful political weapons too. Uh, I mean, that's what brought Hillary Clinton up to get grilled about Benghazi over and over and over. Uh, those are committee hearings. Coach, you want to add anything to any of those things? I think it's, so the chart that's in chapter 11, when you talk about the house and the Senate and like definitely the differences and I would go again, the procedures and the laws, like, filibuster is definitely something that I can see them asking for a conceptual type question. Um, I think, and I was looking at it, I think Cox's are definitely important. Um, I think maybe something along with the woman in Congress, all right, when you're saying like, you know, they could be asking a question about that. And the other thing that's also in uh, chapter 11 is lobbyists and interest groups, which easily could be a conceptual question when you talk about like Iron Triangle and we talk about how everything works together. And a couple of different things to remember with lobbyists, if you had me as a teacher, is that like, there's a lot of gray space when you come to lobbyist laws. You know, I talked about the story, well, there was a, used to be a law that says you couldn't have a sit down dinner with a lobbyist. Well, they've decided just to have a stand up. 
and they would have advertisers instead of dinner. Like there are very strict laws with lobbyists, but it's one of those things where if there's room, if there's wiggle room, you're going to find it. Um, and lobbyists used to be our, our former congressmen, people who were very passionate about a subject, who realized that these lobbyist firms were going to pay you a lot more money to be in the private sector and do this than uh, being a congressman. And so lobbyists, again, was one of those jobs that if Mr. Higgins could take right now, and they're going to pay me six figures, I 100% would take it. That and being the ambassador. Like ambassador, well, ambassador to like an island. Yeah, you definitely want like a Caribbean ambassadorship. So yeah. if anybody from the Trump administration is listening, I don't want like, we don't want Norway, Finland, nothing against those fantastic Norwegian countries, but we're more, I'm more of a Caribbean guy myself as well. Yeah, and I don't want like, even, I don't even want to be an ambassador to like one of our allies, like Germany or France. Like, you've got to do too much. You, you, you got to be involved. I just want to be on my island. Uh, but lobbyists, again, remember, like a lot of times, a lot of our legislations come from lobbyists who write down, the, who actually ghostwrite the legislation for us, for congressmen, and then congressmen just submit it. Oh, right. I, I, I have to steal 30 seconds and then, and then it's your show again. But like, have you seen, I can't remember if I talked about it in class this year or not, but there is interest groups that will write legislation for, especially at the state level for general assemblies and ghostwrite it. And people have forgotten just to change the letterhead. It's like copying someone's homework, but forgetting to scratch out Peter Hagermoser and put Adam Sanders at the top. And I mean, they have forgotten to change the letterhead and just put it on the floor as is without any of those changes. And that's just, Oh, it's mind blowing to me. It's mind blowing. You got to think, and I, I know for there are thousands of listeners to this podcast that you've all made that mistake when you've copied someone's paper and you, you copy and pasted something in Google doc and you, you uh, forgot to put their name. You forgot to put your name instead of their name. I'll do it like a lot of times with uh, like when I write some of my college letters of recommendation I write a lot of times they're just like I substitute names in I add paragraphs I delete paragraphs I start from a point but like I always have to double check and make sure that I am changing everybody's name out so general assembly if any of you ever run for office later on just please remember that part um yes. but that's it for me unless you want to go on about some pork barrel legislation because you know anybody from the Carolinas can talk about anything that has the word pork in it for a good 15-20 minutes some pulled pork. I could use some pulled pork right now. Oh, see, now I thought you, this is where, this is where I thought you were going with the lobbyists. Like there's gray area and I thought you were trying to go into getting bribed with Chick-fil-A gift cards. I thought, I thought that's where you were going. I mean, my birthday is coming up. Yours is coming up. Mine's coming up. I mean, mine's two months away. Yeah. Mine's like less than a month away. Three weeks. Three weeks. The now Luke O'Neill Sanders though, two days. So next podcast will be birthday for the big man. And finally Starting six. six. That's right. Six. So that's old. But anyway, I'm I'm good on I'm good on chapter eleven unless uh, we want to bring Luke in as a guest since he's here and ready to make his podcasting debut. We can have we can have him on his birthday. We can interview him on his birthday. All right, that's how we'll is do. life as a kindergarten student. That's what we'll do. I tell you, the life as a kindergarten student was a struggle bus this morning, but we uh, we then we bounced back. So, all right, well, I'm good. And please, even if you uh, you make mistakes, that's okay. Just please don't teach like Hager Moser. And please don't teach like Sanders.